Well, welcome back to Crazy Faith Talk. I'm Erica. I'm Steve. And I'm Sarah. And we are glad to have you back on our newly minted Christianity 202 series, uh, a chance to look a little more in depth or a little more deeply into topics that once upon a time we broached in Christianity 101. So moving beyond the absolute basics to a little more deeper thought. Um, Last time we began by looking at how do we read scripture and we tried to lay out some good ground rules for responsible reading of scripture as people who are followers of Jesus and not just any people. Um, But maybe you can tell us, Sarah, where are we going to go today? So today we're going to continue talking about interpretation, but specifically in, in what ways have we as Christians used interpretation in order to harm others? Mm -hmm. Uh, And that this is primarily intentional misinterpretation in order to further one's own agenda which is often political. Um, so the the first thing that I was thinking of when we were uh, thinking of uh, on this topic is um, ways in which people have chosen to read the Bible in order to not welcome immigrants, okay. to not welcome refugees. And um, because the Bible is a whole library full of books written across hundreds of years. So at different times, different things have been written on this subject and they are found in the Bible. So there are places in the Bible that says things like, do not marry foreigners. Do not do this. Do not do that. And it's all very like, don't welcome the stranger. And then there are other places in the Bible that say, you know, welcome the stranger. Cursed is anyone who withholds justice from the foreigner, the fatherless or the widow. You know, there are places throughout the Bible who have examples of, no, yes, you should welcome the stranger. And this is what God commands. So it's it's a little bit of like, well, which one is true and as we talked in last week's episode we one way to responsibly read the bible is to read it through the lens of jesus of what would jesus do or what does jesus do um in what way is more loving and i'm gonna go ahead and speak for myself that that is most likely going to be welcome the stranger that is the more jesus thing to do Mm -hmm. um but there are certainly places in the Bible that says the opposite. Mm-hmm. So you've helpfully raised a really good case study, like some of the, the things that were just abstract principles in our last conversation, like to treat the Bible not as a reference manual that only asks one question in one place, but the question about how do we regard people from other cultures or nationalities that sometimes get lumped in as just generically the stranger or the foreigner or the alien. Uh, There's not just one place to talk about it. There's lots of them. And knowing the social location or the times in history that those arose might help us make sense of why one era says one thing and another time says another thing, right? So we might do some deeper digging and go, wait a second, those times in ancient Israel's history where they were given the sharpest warnings about not intermarrying with foreigners was as they came back from exile and were like, 
barely holding on to their national identity and had come through a period of sort of um, being forced to adopt a lot of the pagan culture of the Babylonians and the Assyrians. And as they were trying to reclaim, no, we're not just one more Babylonian colony. We are a separate, you know, people with a different story and God's faithful. It made sense to say, no, we need to hold on to that national identity. But to take a look and zoom out and go, well, over the broader sweep of the story, there's this recurring, you are to welcome the foreigner because you used to be the oppressed alien. Mm-hmm. You know what it was like to be in Egypt. You know what it was like to be treated as the ones who didn't belong. Your ancestor was wandering foreigner Abraham, who didn't own any land of his own, but squatted on other people's land all his life long. Um, and then and then to make the move that you did, Sarah, to Jesus, who not only has some experience in his infancy as a refugee trying to hide from Herod, but also says things pretty straightforwardly like i was a stranger and you welcomed me and announces to those who welcomed him in that parable about sheep and goats that that's sort of the key to the being the blessed ones are the ones who feed the hungry welcome the stranger visit the sick visit the imprisoned that kind of thing jesus also has within his family tree a very good example of welcoming the stranger yeah um so one of um jesus's ancestors was ruth who was not an Israelite, but was from Moab. And so there are, again, this is one of those nations where there is says very specifically, Moabite, no, Moabites are, are bad. You shouldn't marry them. And then yet we only have Jesus as he is because Ruth was his ancestor and married an Israelite man. And not only it's just by like random chance that she happens to be in part of his story, the whole book of Ruth paints her as this heroic figure who is faithful and loyal to her mother-in-law, Naomi, and who is willing to go through the indignity of being an immigrant in Israelite society rather than staying back home in Moab, and who um, is willing to take the menial work of gleaning in the fields and uh, doing what the law commands to find a husband that will allow her husband's and her mother-in-law's family line to continue. Like she's uplifted, not just, oh, she happens to be a foreigner, but I guess we tolerate her. But as the example of what faithfulness looks like in that story. Um, so it sounds like you're, you're helpingly, helpfully pointing out when we come to a question like, how do we treat the stranger, the foreigner, the alien? This is a place to not only look at the broad sweep of scripture, but again, you're paying attention to genre there. There's commandments about, you know, welcome the stranger. And then there's, here's a whole story, a whole book of the Bible. That's a story where the foreigner isn't just grudgingly tolerated, but is the hero and the example and paying attention to how that story is and how central she is to Israel's story and Jesus' story then. um, That also gives some heft to one side of this argument or one perspective on the question, right? Yes. Um, what are other other dynamics in this? If, if we were taking a look at the question of how the Bible has been used either to harm people or to uh, help people, to welcome people, uh, in particular, maybe on the question of the stranger, what are other ways we might use the Bible well or pitfalls to avoid in reading the Bible? So the Bible, and especially in um, throughout Deuteronomy and Leviticus, there are several laws about um, gleaning and this is kind of partially how Ruth gets to meet Boaz and, and all that. Um, when when one would harvest their field, they were to leave the edges 
not only for the widows and orphans in the area, but also for the strangers, for the aliens. Mm-hmm. So it's not just that you welcome them, but you care for them. You mm. you provide for them. Yeah. And, and make sure, like, don't take your fields to the very edge. Don't hoard all of your stuff for yourself and your family. Mm-hmm. Um, but allow it to be given away. Yeah. It's not being sold. It is being given away. Yeah. To to the foreigners, to the widows, the orphans, um, because they have no other resources. Yeah. They don't have connections to Israelites and family there, and so they need something to survive on. And yeah. so they, you know, Israel is called to give to the foreigner. So it sounds like I'm hearing a couple of underlying, like recurring themes on how the Bible as a whole, the scriptures as a whole would instruct us to treat foreigners uh alien strangers one is that that um phrasing we talked a little about a little bit ago that you should treat aliens and foreigners well because you israelites used to be foreigners and you know what it was like Mm -hmm. but then there's this other passage this other theme you're talking about there erica about um the assumption that the people who have no other way of, of caring for themselves, the people who don't own land and therefore don't have their own fields to harvest, mm-hmm. the whole community has an obligation to care for them. And the Bible, the biblical writers seem to have this assumption that we do have an obligation to care for one another. And we don't just get to say, sorry, you're not my problem. I don't have to help you. The Bible seems to start with the starting point of you do have an obligation to care for other people, whether they're not that whether or not they are part of your ethnic group or nationality, that the and the so the widows and the orphans who might also be Israelites, sure you take care of them because they're our own kin. But yeah, even the foreigners as well. That's a move the Bible seems to assume not because of their righteousness or because they've earned it or they're so well and upstanding, but because yeah. they don't have any other means of providing. That the the Bible grounds that not in their righteousness, but in their their mere existence. The fact that they are there means they need to be cared for and treated with respect and dignity and provision rather, rather than uh, you've earned it because you were good, well-behaved people. Um, and those, those themes keep showing up, not just in individual verses, but as a recurring like underlying logic over and over and over again in Exodus and Deuteronomy and uh, the gleaning laws that show up. So it's, it's not just, I've got one verse on this side and you've got one verse on that side, but th- there's this underlying train of thought or a whole way of seeing the world that shows up in a bunch of different verses that helps maybe answer this question or give us a sense of what side should I land on, on the question of how do I, how do I use the Bible to address the question of treating strangers? Can I ask, um, Sarah, when, when we started this episode, we talked about, um, like this is, this is a whole conversation about ways to avoid misusing the Bible or ways that we have misused the Bible. Um, what would be an example of ways of misusing the Bible on this particular subject? Or what are ways that people have misused the Bible in this particular area? So I've just been thinking about the last several years um, that you know, there has been incidences where there's been a major world event that's caused a mass of people to leave their homes and they're now refugees. They're now seeking a place to land safely for a while with the hopes of returning home, but sometimes that's going to be impossible. And, you know, our context in the United States is at the time there was a political climate that 
was like, no, we don't want them here. Um, and therefore we don't want to support more refugees entering in the US, they can go elsewhere. Um, which often like the folks that were saying this, I felt like were also called themselves Christian. And so it kind of was this like tension in the US of mm. how can you be Christian and yet not welcome the refugees? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and that, you know, was a, I, I feel like that tension was very strong, especially during the Trump presidency. Um, but also even the last year or so, the last several months of the Ukraine, um, Russian conflict war yeah. of there's all of these, these Ukrainians now that it's not safe for them to be in their homes because that's where the fighting is. And granted, they haven't tried to go like mostly from what I hear, the Ukrainian refugees have been trying to stay in Europe because again, they're hoping that they can go home very soon. So they don't want to go halfway across the world um, to get to safety because that's gonna make it harder for them to go home. But th there's still that tension of, there's a large group of the US population that says, no, not here. We don't want them here. And I find that very hard to live with. It's interesting too, that 80 or 90 years ago, as uh, there was another upheaval in Europe. And as the the beginnings of World War II began, there was that same strain of, even though there's lots of displaced people, um, we were wrestling as a nation with whether we turn away boats full of Jewish refugees um, or whether we would welcome them and how often it was dressed with the language of religion of, no, we have to keep you know people like us together. Uh, and we don't want people who are foreigners and strangers when there were other people making the case, wait a second, this is exactly what the people who are heirs of the stories of Ruth and um, the, the stories of ancient Israel who were the former slaves and aliens and all that, uh, we of course should be welcoming them. So like, this is a recurring problem uh, and maybe it, it dresses up in different garb generation after generation, but we've often had to wrestle with this and often both, both voices uh, have tried to claim to be the ones in line with the quote unquote, the, what the Bible says. Mm -hmm. So for us in our conversation, it sounds like part of how we're, recommending uh landing on a question like this is say okay yep you've got places in scripture that say don't intermarry don't welcome the stranger and other places that do it's not simply a matter of who's got a bigger stack of bible verses on their side but in the end it comes down to a what what most fits with the character of the god we know in jesus who is the god who liberates slaves and tells the in the heirs of those slaves to welcome foreigners and then jesus himself who insists on the welcome of the stranger and whose presence is there in the marginalized um that that might lean in a certain direction as opposed to saying well there's equal bibles on both sides it doesn't matter where you land there's maybe nope there's a there's a particular take that jesus has on questions like this is that fair to say yes Okay. Are there other ways or case studies we might offer for uh, ways that we can read the Bible in ways that are harmful as opposed to helpful or ways that it's been misused or ways to cause harm? And as you say, often with an, uh, an agenda. I mean, you had a good one, Steve. Oh, okay. Um, well, I, I'll say like, uh, there's, a, there's a story that comes to mind uh, often to me. Uh, and I think what's what's surprising to me about this story is 
that it is told in the book of Acts with this clear matter of factness that the early church member Philip just clearly had a sense of what the right thing to do was, even though he didn't take time to say, I need to consult and get my list of Bible verses to see whether this is okay or not. So there's a a scene in the book of Acts in Acts chapter eight, where uh, the Holy Spirit gets a hold of this guy named Philip, who is not an apostle. He is one of the leaders in the church, but he's not the same Philip um, who's a a disciple. He's a later deacon. So there's this guy who doesn't get to speak for the whole church. He's not Pope. We haven't invented popes. Um, Here's just some guy who God says, hey, go to this wilderness road. There's someone I want you to meet. And along this road comes a eunuch who's a court official for the Ethiopian queen Candace. And he is on his way back to Ethiopia, back to sub-Saharan Africa uh, and reading from the book of the prophet Isaiah. And so Philip, like a hitchhiker, (laughs) gets in this chariot. They're talking together as they're going down the road. And this Ethiopian eunuch finds out about Jesus based on what Philip tells him from the book of Isaiah. And at this point, then the eunuch stops and says, Hey, I see water over there. What is to prevent me from being baptized? And what is amazing to me is that this is a hugely loaded question and that without like without missing a beat, the way Luke tells the story, he immediately just goes and gets baptized when this is another one of those points where, well, what's to prevent this person from being baptized? Well, there are an awful lot of Bible verses that might be useful in this conversation. And a lot of them point toward you should not let this person join the community of God's people. Um, not only is he pointed the wrong direction and not going to be headed back toward Jerusalem where the rest of the Christians are, so he'll never be a member of a church somewhere. Um, he's also definitely an outsider. He's uh, ethnically not Jewish and is not capable of converting to Judaism because as a eunuch, he's not even a candidate for circumcision. Um, And on top of that, wrong ethnic group, wrong language, wrong culture. Um, There are passages earlier in the code of the Torah that prohibit anybody from any kind of genital either disfiguration or abnormality from belonging among the assembly of the people of God. There's straight up that commandment out of Deuteronomy. What's interesting to me is in this moment, Philip, who is clearly well aware of his scripture and could point to any one of those verses and say, well, you're not allowed because you're a eunuch or you're not allowed because you're an Ethiopian and you're not allowed because you're not even going back to where the rest of the Christians are. Philip's immediate response is, of course, you can be baptized. He baptized them on the spot and they both go on their way rejoicing. And I guess to me, that seems like one of those interesting moments where uh, something tells Philip what the Christ-like thing to do is. And it is also instructive to me that even though there are Bible verses that could be argued to say, no, he's not allowed to include this person, he does anyway. Um, And to me, that seems like an interesting case study for how we ask the question about how we use the Bible as well today, Um, because Philip never gets punished or chastised. Nobody ever says, hey, you shouldn't have done that, Phil. Now you've made a big mess of things. But in some sense, Philip continues the trajectory of the whole book of Acts, radiating outward of increasingly wide embrace of Samaritans and foreigners and Gentiles by the end of the story. So I guess that seems to me like another one of those times where Philip is faced with the question of, do I use the Bible in a way that harms this person and says, nope, the Bible says you're not allowed, you can't be included, or does he use the Bible in a way that gives him permission? And to, I, I, to me, that seems like it's it's at least... Um, an important or provocative maybe in, in the ways that I sometimes need to be poked about. Yeah, there's this, this is an important story to consider. And it, that, because now that story is also within our Bible, within our scripture, right? it helps set precedent 
right? It yeah. helps. It's now part of our life story of Christians of, hey, this thing happened. This person was included. Yeah. Um, I remember sitting in a college lecture where the professor who's giving the lecture and it was she brought this up as an example of how she found this to be so helpful as a woman who no longer had reproductive organs mm. that this was a moment where in the bible it says that she is still included even though she no longer fits that gender binary yeah. because she you, or you know she she's no longer quote unquote by definition a woman because she was missing all of her reproductive organs and you know it was one of those things that like you know college freshman me was just all like but that's not the only thing that makes you a woman like it was like <laughs> I was suddenly having very like uh, <laughs> I had never confronted my um biases about sex and gender and all of those things but for her at that moment she was taking a stand and saying no the bible is like the inclusion of this eunuch goes far beyond like just this one person right but suddenly it is this window or this door that has been opened for people who don't fit the binary that it, they are welcome to like it helps set that precedent it's interesting too the, the that that particular story in this particular social category there's another place in the book of isaiah that is su surprising and refreshing and startling to me in the same way like there again everybody in the old testament knows the commandment from deuteronomy eunuchs are not allowed to belong to the assembly of god that's what the rule is and then isaiah 56 comes along where this voice of the prophet says speaking on behalf of the eunuchs says, and, and man there's this eunuch saying i can't belong woe is me i'm just a dry tree i don't i don't belong i'm cut off i don't belong in the people of god and and then the prophet speaking on behalf of god says of course you belong god god's doing a new thing and now you are included and again like the the surprising and sometimes tension causing thing is that here is the same the prophet is speaking on behalf of god the same god who commanded the rule earlier about eunuchs don't belong now saying and i'm do, now doing a new thing and now yes there is this possibility of being included um and the, I, I guess like that's a shocking thing for a biblical author to say on behalf of god yep i know what the rule was before and now here's this new thing i'm doing that the Bible itself often does something like that, where it's, yep, here's what the rule was, and now God is doing a new thing, all the way down to the inclusion of Gentiles in the New Testament community, right? Where the rules before said you have to be circumcised, you have to keep kosher, you have to obey the festivals, and the New Testament community wrestled with, is that really what God's saying now, or... Is God letting Gentiles belong as Gentiles without converting to Judaism first? And that's where the church landed uh, in the book of Acts and then throughout Paul's letters as well. Um, so again, like, yeah, it's possible to read the scriptures and go, well, look, there's all these rules about who can't in be included. The New Testament com community in the book of Acts had to do some of that same weighing as well. They had to do their own conversation in Acts 15, what they call the Jerusalem Council, asking, well, how do we read the Bible that's given us all these commandments about who can belong and who can't? And what's amazing to me is at the end of all that, their conclusion wasn't, well, the Bible says we can't, so we can't. But no, God's doing this new thing. And however we are reading the Bible before, God is now telling us in this moment, 
Gentiles are included. The Ethiopian eunuch is included. Uh, the centurion uh, Cornelius is included. Um, that was a scandal to say. You, you get the feel of that in the New Testament for all the hostility that Paul goes through over Gentiles being included. But it seems important, like, yeah, that's interesting. The Bible itself talks about what it's like to wrestle with having a stack of Bible verses that say one thing and a stack of Bible verses that say another thing and how you navigate through that territory. I think to me, honestly, that's one of the most uh, important but sometimes difficult things for me to wrestle with as a religious professional in 2022 is that the Bible, as much as I want it to be a place where here's the single answer to the one question you're asking, instead keeps presenting itself as here's a collection of times people wrestled with the stacks of Bible verses that they had that pointed in different directions and how they discerned where God was leading them in moment after moment after moment. And finding those stories over and over and over again is helpful to me that like, oh, I'm part of a long chain of people who are continuing to ask in this moment and in this time, how do we say where God is including people, what God is up to in the world? But that's a more complicated and nuanced engagement in the scripture than just, I found one verse that says this, I stopped looking after I found one verse. So maybe, I don't know, are there other things that we need to address in this conversation or are these helpful enough case studies for dangers of um, mishearing or misusing text with, with agendas or simplistically stopping after we found something that reinforces our biases? Well, I mean, we so... <laughs> So the Christian church has existed now for 2000 years. So there are lots and lots of different examples that we could go into about different ways that different groups have misused the Bible in order to hurt or oppress other groups of people. Um, but I think that this is a, a good stopping point because I think that we could go on. I know that we've talked previously about ways that the Bible has been used to silence women. You know, we could also talk about how the Bible has been used in order to reinforce slavery. But like those topics, I feel like we've either already addressed or they're such a big and important topic that we should give them the space that they deserve and not try to quickly mention them within the last five minutes of yeah. an episode. But maybe these are helpful enough case studies to say, if if all this talk about how we read the Bible just seems like, what does that mean in my life? Well, there's some pretty powerful examples throughout history of the stakes can be really, really high and really, really terrible when we uh, simplistically uh, read the Bible and just like, here's what I already want the Bible to say. Where can I find a verse that will back me up in that sort of negative kind of exegesis that Erica was warning us about last time? Um, and also maybe a reminder we're not alone, that when we face new questions that are wrestling with, yeah, how does the Bible speak to this? We're not the first time that Christians have wrestled with how do I make sense of the, all the voices of scripture? We've been doing that since the beginning too, and trusting that it's not just who's got a bigger stack of Bible verses on their side, but where do I see Jesus leading me? And maybe that's, uh, again, I hope maybe these case studies have been examples for in our own wrestling for each of us. That that's a pretty important question we can't sidestep is that of all the options in front of me, what takes the shape of Jesus? What looks the most like the way of Jesus moving forward? So next time we're going to be looking at other ways or other topics in Christianity 202, things that are deeper and maybe a, a, a little bit further on than just the basics and fundamentals. But we'll invite you to continue joining us in this conversation here on Crazy Faith Talk. See you
What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. So, you've got an idea for a business. The store of your dreams. There's just one thing to figure out. Everything. That's why Shopify's all-in-one commerce platform makes it easy to sell online, in person, and everywhere else. Sell on social media, source products with an app to get that first sale feeling. It's the only solution that gives you everything you need to sell everywhere you want. So when you're ready to bring your idea to life, power it up with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. 